This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Man, do we have a lot to get to today. Welcome to another edition of the Clay Young Show here on Podcast225.com. We always appreciate having you guys here with us. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the show. If you download the show on iTunes, leave us a review there. A few stars, if you don't mind. You can even type something in to leave a comment about the show. Tell your friends about us as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ClayYoungBR or on Facebook backslash ClayYoung. So much to get to today. A special guest here in studio. We're going to talk with Stephen Wagasback, who is the president and CEO of the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry, Lobby as it's known. Wags will be in studio and we will be talking about the climate of business in Louisiana as we speak. We will be talking about the tax proposal the governor is laying out and what we should be expecting or at least requiring in the regular session of the legislature that is set to begin as we record this, this coming Monday. Also, we've got all the details for this year's Smoke Em If You Got Em fundraiser, again benefiting the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. And man, do we have some great, great surprises, some, some things we'll share with you after our interview with Steve Wagasback. In fact, we will surprise you with that in the commercial stop set going into the final segment with a very special promo about smoke them if you got them i am excited about it it is sunday may 21st we've been telling everybody to mark it down put it in your calendar make sure you are there it is four o'clock at ben 77 bistro and perkins row in south baton rouge i think you'll love it the weather unless it's very inclement won't stop this year's event, and I'll explain what I mean after we talk with WAGS. All right, quickly about that conversation. So, as you know, for most of you in Louisiana, the regular session is about to come up. And all of the partisanship that exists in politics right now, that it's always that's always existed, really does often get in the way of progress. But for me personally, I think the government should be great stewards of the money they take from individuals, from businesses. And I always hate the the phrase, pay your fair share, because I don't think the government has the right to tell me what my fair share is. As long as I pay my taxes, I don't break the law. I do right by the people who work for me. I do right by the people who I provide services to. I think that's pretty much, as a businessman, what I'm required to do. Now, there's other uh, social programs and things that I that I do and that I'm a part of, and and that's that's of my own choice, right? But Louisiana has got all has got all of these financial issues that has that seemingly pop up annually. You ever notice that every year during the regular session, we end up talking about a budget deficit? Now, I think we can all agree that the eight years of the Jindal administration did not work out for Louisiana. We were worse off at the end of his administration than we were at the beginning. No matter what your political persuasion is, I don't really think you can argue that point. But where do we go from here? I mean, you can sit around and complain about who started the fire in the house, or you can put the fire out. 
And I think the house is burning and we need to be trying to put the fire out. And so we'll talk with Wags and get his perspective on what Louisiana needs to be doing. Just as an FYI, on next week's show, Brian Taylor, Sergeant Brian Taylor, who is president of the Baton Rouge Union of Police, will be making a return visit to this here studio. And he's fired up. Very fired up. Had a conversation with him recently and... Let me just tell you, you want to mark this one down, and this might not be for the kids to hear. I'll just tell you that, just based upon my conversation with him. But more information about about that still to come. All right, details on Smoke'em in the closing segment of this show. I cannot wait to tell you about it, and I will. But first, let's talk state politics with Stephen Wagaspak, the head of Lobby. He is my guest in this studio next. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. Clay Young here with David Day with the Day Group talking about the 2017 LeaderCast event presented by Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge. Here's the deal, Clay. If I told you that you could go to a world-class conference, it's it's actually the world's largest one-day leadership conference, and you could hear world-class speakers, Mm -hmm. we'd feed you breakfast, lunch, and give you all your materials. Wow. The program starts at 8, it ends at 3, and you didn't have to leave home, what would you say to that yes please yeah that's what we're doing that's leader cast 2017 sponsored where by, is it it's at the brown holt auditorium at the campus of the dunham school and it features tyler perry daniel pink Susie welch and a host of other amazing speakers you just don't want to miss and that. you were gonna say it's sponsored by mercedes-benz of baton rouge sponsored by mercedes-benz and that's world-class I mean, stuff there and man. let's tell them again when and where okay may 5th Coming up soon, May 5th, so hurry up and get your tickets. Go to LeaderCastBR.com. It's at the Brownholt Auditorium right here in Baton Rouge, May 5th, LeaderCastBR.com. This is The Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Back with Stephen Wagaspak, affectionately known as Wags. He signed the door of, uh, of fame there here in the office. He is the... President and CEO of the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry, and he is here for the second time, I believe, right? That's right, number two. Yeah, number two. So, how are you, bud? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. This is an interesting time for Louisiana. I know that you have been all over the state. In fact, we were talking a moment ago about some business you were doing up in North Louisiana. Before we get to the governor's tax proposal and the impending session, grade for me the atmosphere in Louisiana for businesses? You know, it's very uncertain. Uncertain. Okay. Um, you know, you know, just come back from a statewide tour, been around to 15 different cities, visiting right. with members, talking to members, et cetera. And there's just so much uncertainty right now. You know, they there's a part of them that in, uh, is looking forward to what's happening at the federal level. They're mm-hmm. seeing regulations come out. They're seeing, you know, the ACA being looked at again. They're yeah. seeing uh, some tax changes being proposed. So they're excited about the federal level. But at the state level, they see a clear contrast to what's going on there. 
any discussion of tax code here is how can we get more from you? Yeah. Um, regulations are increasing here. Lawsuits are going up. Yeah. Um, it's just a challenging time here. And so, you know, quite frankly, what I look from them is they say, is this really where the state's going to continue to go? I mean, are they going to start to see, you know, some of the same issues at the federal level saying? And I don't know what to tell them right now. And so, you know, the tax code changes every six months. Yeah. They're like, what do we predict? You know, what do we try to invest, you know, looking at? And there's just so much uncertainty. And I don't, I, I wish I had a clear answer to tell them, but quite frankly, we're waiting to see every single day where the state's going next right now. And so the, that clear, that lack of a clarity and direction mm-hmm. is what's putting everyone on neutral. What's the biggest gripe you hear? Hmm, good question. Um, the biggest gripe is that, um, the business community is getting blamed by the governor and several other officials for every problem Louisiana has had for decades. Yeah. You know, this, this mantra of the business community has, you know, needs, needs to pay their fair share and do their part. So, okay. You brought that up. I was going to get to that when we talked about the proposal. I absolutely detest that phrase. Pay your fair share. Well, it's just not accurate. It's, it's it a isn't lie. accurate. It's a lie. And so, like, yeah, yeah I, I detest most lies. Right. With you, so. And I do think that there there is uh, there are ethics that are in play in business and in government. And I do think you pay your taxes. I think uh, you try to take care of your customers so that your customers can take care of you. But when politicians say pay your fair share, and this is a little bit out of order, but I want to, I hate to cut you off there, but I want to jump to the part of the governor's tax proposal that has drawn the most criticism, and that is a tax on gross receipts for businesses. Now, these are businesses, as I understand it, that make at least a million five in gross receipts. And some people say, wow, that's, that's a lot of money. No, that's, that's not, a big number for small businesses. Drive through any town in Louisiana. I yeah. don't care if you're in Baton Rouge or New Orleans yeah. or if you're in Bunky or, you know, Bogalusa. New, New right. You know, most restaurants you see, they may have receipts above a million dollars. No question. Most hardware stores yeah. you see, yeah. receipts over a million dollars. Pharmacies, no grocery question. stores. Right. These aren't conglomerates no. we're talking about. Right. These are small businesses with tight margins that, That's are, right. that are fighting tooth and nail. With small numbers of employees. Correct. That is the that is the level of receipts we're talking about right there. So this would basically put them in the crosshairs. Right. And so here's what drives me the craziest on this: this gross receipts model. This this wasn't examined by the economists. This didn't come out of the eight zero eleven task force. This isn't coming out of some you know thoughtful process. This is a money grab. Is what it is. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Louisiana's economy. A lot of people say, all right, we're an energy economy, we're a chemical economy. No, we're none of that. We are a service-based economy. Sure. The true backbone of Louisiana's economy are these homegrown mom-and-pop Louisiana companies right. that started off with a guy on the bayou who knew how to make a valve Absolutely. and repair it. Absolutely. And a generation later, yeah. it's a great service company yeah. that partners with big industry. And we have so many of those. If this bill becomes law... Those are the type of companies that are targeted on this because mm-hmm. a gross receipts model encourages vertical integration. That's right. It encourages big companies to get bigger right. or move out of state. And so those service-based companies that we depend on to, to, to build a lot of our, our, our local communities, yeah. those are the ones going to be left out in the cold. And, and for people who are not in the, the business sphere, when you're talking vertical integration, you eliminate contracts and and work agreements with smaller companies that may provide a service for you and you start to do those things in-house and for a company to move revenue to now provide yourself with a service that you were contracting out could mean that people get fired 
It could mean that you charge more for services, which can have an adverse effect on bottom line. And and again, it is the kind of upheaval that most businesses in the climate that we are in in Louisiana can ill afford to have. And then what does that mean? People are out on the streets. They don't have jobs because the company can't afford the works. I mean, a million five is at that number, it's going to impact a lot of businesses in smaller communities. And I, I wonder how they don't see that. I, I mean, I kind of think they do, to be honest with you. Then, then why would you do that? How could they How could they see that and still be okay with it? You know, and, and this is where I'm not sure how I should, you know, phrase my concern on this, but... Say it like you mean it. I'm not convinced they even want this thing to pass. I'm, I'm almost more convinced that this is... They, they said, okay, what do we want the press release to look like? We want to blame the wealthy and business mm-hmm. and the haves for the have Doesn't work in Louisiana. That That's what they want to do. Yeah. And they say, well, how do we get there? Well, let's put this gross receipts tax in place. And here's what they, what I think they think is going to happen, that it'll obviously catch a lot of criticism because no one seems to like it. The left right. doesn't like it. The right doesn't That's like right. it. The states that have tried it don't like it. Right. No one seems to like it. Yeah. And so they think it'll die. And then the legislature can get blamed for you know playing politics mm-hmm. or being partisan or whatever the, the name game is. And then they can say, listen, we tried. We tried to be thoughtful. We tried to make those big, bad, you know, out-of-state conglomerates, you know, pay their fair share. That didn't work. And so, you know, House Republicans, the ghost of Bobby Jindal, big yeah. business, whatever yeah. the boogeyman of the day is, yeah. we can blame them for it. And then they can just throw up their hands and say, well, we tried. What, what do you want to do? See, that that is the problem with politics now. Look, there's no doubt that John Bell Edwards did inherit a raw deal with the with the state of the economy when he took the office. That's just the truth. That's not left-leaning, right-leaning. That's just the truth. Having said all of that, you got to play the hand you're dealt and you ran for the office, so do the job. It's the same truth that pretty much <laughs> most states have dealt with. I mean, Absolutely. The, the economy has been limping along yeah. nationally for a decade now. No question. I mean, if you, if you, bring, if you had Lauren Scott in here, yeah. he would basically say, you're like, look, 1% growth over right. a decade is not growth at all. That's right. basically you know, a recession if, if it is. And so that's what we're dealing with. So, yeah, look, there's no doubt we have an economic headwind. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you listen to Greg Albright or Jay Darden, and right. they're actually testifying at the REC, what they say is our biggest problem are job losses. Yeah. And that is our biggest problem. Yet the policies we propose fly in the face of that. And at least at the federal level, look, whether you like what's going on up there or not, at least they're talking about undoing regulations, mm-hmm. changing the tax code to mm-hmm. bring investment back from offshore. They're trying to stimulate private sector investment. They're trying to you know, remove some of the impediments the feds have put into place. Right. They're trying to at least go in the right direction. And, and it's you, having and, a positive and end. And seeing the market it, yeah, respond. Absolutely. The market's going absolutely. up. The market's saying, thank God yeah. for once. People yeah. are saying, all right, at least we're not. In Louisiana, we're doing the exact opposite on everything. We're trying to add new regulations, add new taxes, add new lawsuits. We're trying to do everything we can to demonize, blame, tax, and sue everyone in the private sector that's trying to survive in this tough recession. What would be the end game for such a paradigm? If, if, that, is, if that indeed is the governor's approach, then what would be the end game? Because it, it doesn't, to me, appear to be something that's going to turn out in any way that helps him. So then if that is the case... What do you think his end game is? Well, you know, I, I don't even know how to speculate on that. I mean, I, you know, I would encourage you to ask him on here and, and yeah. ask him that question and see what he has to say. I'm, I'm assuming we're trying. I'm assuming what he would tell you is, it's like, listen, our biggest problem is we have businesses and private sector individuals that aren't paying enough to government. 
And he will say that is holding us back from. And look, this is not a new playbook, man. This is the same playbook that Huey yeah. put out ninety years ago. Populism. This is the same playbook that Edwin enshrined in the Constitution in yeah. the seventies. This yeah. is the same playbook yeah. that led to the eighties dive. This is, I mean, this is a retread of all retreads. That's what we have going on right now. So then, let's take let's step back from politics. A function of what you do every day is often, and I said this in the open, often work as a liaison between business and government. You go around and you talk to the heads of big companies, you talk to people with small businesses, and I asked earlier what was the biggest gripe. But if when you're talking to them and those rap sessions and they're shooting things at you that they ought to do this, they ought to do that, what what consistently do you hear from businesses that they think is a solution to what Louisiana's ills are. Well, one of the things that I hear a lot of is, is one, whatever you're going to do in the tax code, stop changing the rules every six months. <laughs> I mean, you know, bad yeah. tax code, good tax code, yeah. you know, pro-growth, not not growth, just stop changing the rules because certainty is, is killing us. So right. that's one thing. Second, these coastal lawsuits, we hear it a lot. And it's not just in the oil and gas industry. You know, other industries, any industry that has a permit, that requires a permit, they're saying, are we next? Mm-hmm. And we have to say, no, that's not the case. And so those are the two big things. The other piece is, you know, the school system. I know it sounds almost like, you know, not a business issue, mm-hmm. but it most certainly is. If I talk to a lot of the corporations that either used to be headquartered here and have moved away, it's not because of a tax issue. It's not because of a legal issue. It's because what they tell me is, you know what? The school systems were the biggest problem. We would try to recruit mid-level employees, mid-level executives to right. come here, to, to, to grow here. And they would say, you know what? I love your company. I'd love to go work there, but i got to put my kid They're in gonna private They're going to take a bath on private school. And so instead, right. I'm going to Nashville right. or Charlotte right. or Atlanta right. or Houston. They go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so companies can't stay here because the local schools aren't giving them an option for their employees. And that's sad, man. I mean, that is a, that right. is a self-inflicted wound that we have just tolerated for far too long. When we... It, it is almost an annual crisis talking about a budget deficit. It always hovers somewhere around a billion dollars, it would seem, for maybe the last half decade or so. And it, we hear the same almost contrived arguments as to why we need to do these things. The sales tax was, was increased last year, making us one of the most taxed areas of America, a state with only four and a half million people. But you often hear people ask the question, I hear it in conversations with people, what about the money the state gives away to NGOs? The entire state is now versed on what an NGO is. Are we doing enough to vet the money going to non-governmental organizations? And if we are, how have we recouped some of the money that I think has been pissed away in the last couple of decades to groups that aren't managing it well? I think the NGO issue is literally the the speck on the sun we should be talking about. And, wow. and, and if you look at, let's look at the deficit for a second. Okay. Yes, we have had 15 mid-year deficits in 2009. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. But the budget, would you know that the budget is up $4 billion over the last 15 months? Oh, yeah. Would you know that state revenue collections are up $1.3 billion mm-hmm. over the last 15 months? So we have more money and more spending, yet we're still in deficit. So it doesn't matter whether they have more or less. Right. We always are in deficit. Here is the reason why, in my opinion, is because 90 years ago, we created a system of government. This system of government is we're going to send every tax dollar we can possibly think of to Baton Rouge, 
and we are going to figure out who are the rings we have to go kiss in Baton Rouge mm-hmm. so that they will trickle those dollars back down, hopefully in the form of good schools, mm-hmm. good roads, mm-hmm. consistent economy, et cetera. That model doesn't work in 2017. Dead and stinking. And so every year we go to the Capitol and we act surprised we're in a deficit. We act yeah. surprised we're in a boomer bus economy. Yeah. We act surprised our schools aren't improving. We act surprised our infrastructure is crumbling. And, and so we debate. How do we reshuffle the deck chairs on the on, on the Titanic? Mm-hmm. Well, should we raise sales taxes? Should we raise corporate taxes? Should we raise personal income taxes? We never talk about the true fundamental problem. The states in the South that are successful, that since the 80s crashed, the ones that have really blown up and their skylines have gone up, Texas, mm-hmm. Georgia, Tennessee, mm-hmm. Florida, Flo- yep. mm-hmm. those states have county-driven approaches to solving problems. Yeah. Their tax dollars stay closer to the people. Yeah. They don't send everything to their state capitals. Yeah. They keep it local. Yeah. Here... I mean, look, let's be honest. You and I just had a, uh, a city. We live in the city of Baton Rouge where they just had a mayor's race. Yeah. We both looked very closely at that race. We uh-huh. both watched it closely. Uh-huh. If you really go back and watch those debates, how are you going to fix roads? Well, I'm going to lobby the legislature better than the other guy. Right. How are you going to fix schools? <laughs> well, that's a school board problem, but I'm going to lobby the legislature for more money better than the other guy. <laughs> right. That is not, not that the is great not model. A problem. We've got, yeah. If you go to a Texas mayor debate, if you go to a Georgia mayor debate, those local leaders say, you know what? I'm not going to stand for that. Here's the solution I'm going to do because they right. have resources to use. Here in Louisiana, we flow everything to Baton Rouge, and we act surprised when it doesn't trickle back down to success. But I hear you, and you're absolutely right. I agree with you, but that is not a solution we can come to within the next 18 months. Why not? Uh, well, because I don't think we have the horses to pull that wagon. Well, that's a horse problem, not a wagon that is, problem. That is, that is indeed a horse problem, not a wagon problem. But would you agree that we don't have those horses? I would concur with that. Okay, then. So being, being that we don't have the horses to pull that wagon, how do we mitigate what's going on in the interim? What do we do about it now? And that is the challenge. But throwing more rocks in the wagon ain't going to help it. Right? And I, that- I get it. But, but again, because what you're talking about is the necessary switch. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. But because we are in no position to make that happen, what do we do now? I would spend, if, if, if I were the legislature and the governor right now, I would spend this year not focusing on the tax code. Look, you spent four of the last six sessions re-tinkering re- with the tax code. Then leave, how do you close the deficit? Le- hang on. Leave the, okay. te- leave the tax code alone for a second. Okay. Why can't you spend one session completely focused on the budget? And this is what I mean by the budget. I'm not talking about the bumper stickers right. and radi- talk radio right. stuff. Right. I'm talking about what are the true issues with the budget. Yes. One, of a $29 billion budget. Only about three and a half billion is really discretionary, mm-hmm. and that's why healthcare, higher end corrections get you know messed with every single year. So I would bring up all those statutory dedications that lock up over four billion dollars, and I would figure out which ones need to stay mm-hmm. and which ones need to go. Transportation trust fund that needs to stay, be walled off. Every dollar that needs to go to extra infrastructure needs to stay there. Fee for service funds, leave those alone. But there is over a billion dollars in general fund diversion funds that should, no longer are needed. They need right. to be done away with. Buddy right. Romer in 1987 came in and whacked a lot of those. Yeah. You know, whack them again. Yeah. And put those dollars back on the table. Yeah. That's the first thing I would do. The second thing I would say is, what are the true things that we're spending all this money on that we can no longer afford? Well, this is where it gets politically challenging. But one, retirement. The state yeah. has four retirement systems, yeah. nine local, those 13 to back right. by the state. That's right. Right now, over $2 billion of every budget goes to retirement mm-hmm. overhead that we can't afford. Right. Medicaid. We've talked about expanding it or not to expand it. The session's right. over. We've expanded it. It's yeah. over. The question is, how do we reform it? Right now, we are the largest Medicaid spender in the nation as a percentage of our budget, and it's not even close. We are far and away the largest spender on Medicaid in the nation. 
we've got to bring that down through reforms. And again, there are many, many cities in, in America that are larger than the state of Louisiana. Houston, Houston, dwarfs us <laughs> Houston, as, as state. that's right. And so we, we have yeah. got to find a way yeah. to go to those. The third level of what I would call ineffective spending mm-hmm. is boards, commissions, and little fiefdoms yeah. that we have created over the years that sit on budgets and all that. I would bring them all in and say, listen, unless you can prove absolutely without you know any discussion that we need you in 2017, thank you for your service. Appreciate the last 90 years. We're going to be doing away with you right now. And then five years from now, if we miss you, we'll put you back in. So here's, here is the, off the top of the dome a question. The, I think the average Louisiana, and here's what you just said, and they would go, yeah, okay. Okay. Pick a party. Pick a part of the state. I think the average Louisiana would it's say, not, yeah. It's not a partisan issue. So That's right. So then, that being the truth, why is that so difficult to become a reality? Because on the random Tuesday of every year in the middle of a session when this bill to do any of this stuff gets debated, mm-hmm. the people that have benefited from the old broken status quo system are there in full force ready to bang some heads. If then why do the, they have the power? And, and the average Joes who actually would like this, who, who are believe at work. Saying, they're at work. Yeah. They're driving carpool. Yep. They're doing they're they're yep. doing whatever it takes yeah. to kind of make yeah. their business stay afloat. They yeah. don't have time to go deal with the foolishness that we tolerate every year, the mm-hmm. capital, decade after decade. To me, again, now this doesn't apply to you because you're actually in the fight. I often find that sometimes the most courageous talkers about politics are people on the outside who aren't within you know, a, a square mile of it. Well, that's not the case with you because it's a kind of a function of what you're doing on so many fronts. So then what can you do? What can people around you do to make that a reality? I mean, I think there's a number of things right now. What we're trying to do is we're trying to educate people. I mean, okay. there's a lot of smart people in this state sure. who don't really understand. Absolutely. You know, they, they pick up their paper and read Absolutely. like, oh, man, you know, this, this yeah. seems broken. Yeah. I mean, why, why don't we need more taxes yeah. to solve these problems? Yeah. And so we have to go sit down and talk with them and say, well, wait, let's look at what the budget looks like. Let's look how we're spending our money. Let's look what our economy does. Let's compare ourselves to other states. Mm-hmm. It takes some time to educate folks to say, you know what? There is a better way. And so right now we do a lot of education. Sure. And we do that. The same thing is during the session when these bills come up, you know, we educate our members. We send out, you know, daily updates, weekly updates sure. and all that. Sure. But having said that, it's all on our heels. Every year is the same discussion. You know, the business Every year. community is blamed for mm-hmm. everything. We try our best to say that's not a good idea. That's not a good idea. But it's just Groundhog Day every year. Every and year. And so I think at some point. I don't know if it's this year, if it's two years from now, if it's a decade from now. I do think we will have one of those transformational moments in Louisiana. But those are normally horrible. Well, in the past, (laughs) they have been. Those are normally catastrophe that's brought about something positive. In the past, they have been. Okay. But, you know, I go back to, and I'm not trying to use the the current federal environment as the exact way to go about it. But let's just look at the recent election. Whether you love Trump or hate Trump, yeah. or you're not sure what you think about Trump, depending sure. on any given tweet. Okay, sure. let's just put that aside for a second. <laughs> okay. Let's just look at how he came to be, in mm-hmm. my opinion. And the way he came to be was the Midwest of this country mm-hmm. said, you know what? For the last, as long as we can remember, we've seen our towns disintegrate, our jobs go overseas, mm-hmm. drugs come in, crime go up, our schools crater. Right. 
we're sick of it. We yeah. want the biggest change we can find. We don't care what it is. Give us the biggest change you got. Yeah. And they looked at the 80,000 candidates that were running, and they're like, <laughs> that guy right there, he's the biggest change we got. There's no and boom, doubt. next thing you knew, there was a revolution. 39 states on the electoral map And it wasn't until the Trump. Midwest states came in that night yeah. that people realized there was a movement up front. Yeah. And so I think Louisiana's the same boat. I think for 90 years we've been fed this lie mm-hmm. that the populistic, old-school approach is the only way a poor state like Louisiana can ever be something special. Why not? not have enough faith in the people to give them the kind of government that lets them earn it and achieve it under their own steam. I mean, I think we is can that get, too Pollyanna no, of a I th- question? I think, I think we can get there one day, but at the same time, you, it's like being too critical of Pavlov's dog for not, you know, being self-sufficient. <laughs> right. I mean, he was trained that way. Right. And I think for, unfortunately, for 90 years, we've been trained a certain way. We have been trained that we're only capable of having a good time and having great festivals yeah. and being good neighbors. And we're and better than been, that. We, we are so much better than that. Yeah. And it irritates me to no end. Yeah that there's so many smart, innovative, hardworking people that feel like that's all we're capable of here. I remember a conversation we had in January and uh, you were talking about the way people are, the way the, the, the nation views Louisiana and how if they put someone from Louisiana on on some show, normally they've got three teeth with a blade of straw hanging out of the corner of their mouth and a, and a hat. It's like we're, we are really more dynamic than that. And I think we have to realize that ourselves before we can make other people realize it. Is that fair? Oh, it's totally fair. And look, let me let me be let me brag on us for a second. Yeah. You know, we talk about where the companies tell us what they're concerned about here. But I want to say what they say that what's great about us. I can't tell you the number of companies that will move employees here. And they'll say, you know what? We're the type of multinational company where our employees move from state to state for year, mm-hmm. year after year. And when they come to Louisiana, what they tell us is on day one, they're treated like family by the no neighbors. Question. On day one, their kids get along at school. Mm-hmm. You know, this community feel we have here, we kind of take it for granted. We do. If you were transferred to Sheboygan tomorrow, right. you're not going to feel that. That's for no. And no offense to the people of Sheboygan, <laughs> right. but we're special here. We right. really are. And so our, our unique culture should be one of several assets we sell to the rest of the world. Instead, it's the only one we sell. Because we have been told a lie by the political leaders of this state for almost 100 years that that is all we're capable of. Our DNA is only capable of being those good people. And I think it's just bunk. Or the politicians who so often divide us based upon race or all of these other checkmark boxes that you find instead of realizing that people are people. Let's talk a little bit about infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you travel the state a whole lot and and I move around Louisiana pretty good. I do business here and down in New Orleans and in North Louisiana. When I am in Shreveport or Lake Charles or uh, even driving through Natchitoches, Shreveport, Bossier or Caddo, Bossier, they have three loops. Mm-hmm. Lake Charles has a loop and it is some of the more pristine driving going to North Louisiana in terms of cleanliness and everything. Why is it the capital city region can't seem to get that together? You know, and I don't ask that rhetorically. Sure. I have no freaking idea how the capital city region can't get that together. You know, look, I, I'd be lying if I told you I was the the, the master of this. Answer. But you talk to but lots of businesses I'll, I'll who, my, are, who I'll are engaged. Give yeah. I'll give you my perspective. Uh, when it comes to Baton Rouge specifically, you know, I, I, you know, I live here and I yeah, spend most sure, of my life here sure, in Baton sure. Rouge. 
it was a poorly planned from an infrastructure point of view. No doubt. We, we funnel everyone to the interstate, mm-hmm. and our side roads and support roads aren't overly used. And unfortunately, my office is at the corner, fe- corner of uh, Perkins and College. Yeah. Let me tell you something. That is not a good place to be <laughs> no. at 5 o'clock. No, we, well, listen, so we, we grew into planned. Hollywood, but we built for Hazard County. Yeah, exactly. We were planned very well. No. So that is one problem. Yeah. Um, the other piece is, you know, I do go around the state, and I've talked to folks about infrastructure, and I think there is no issue that better defines the lack of trust people have in their government here than this issue. If you poll infrastructure around the state, every single area, they say, yep, we need better roads, better bridges, better ports, whatever you have in your backyard, mm-hmm. you do a better job. Yeah. And if you go back and say, well, do we need to raise your taxes to do it? A lot of times people say, I'm not so sure. Yeah. And what they say is, I want to make sure that they're actually going to use the money for what they tell me they're going to use it for. So, and so that trust has been broken over yeah. the years. And so we've got to rebuild it from the ground up. So Kip Holden, going on 13 years ago, campaigning for mayor, rebranded the pothole tax here that always existed, the green light plan. Mm -hmm. And he very meticulously sold the public on what he was going to do to solve problems that all of us were clear existed. Yep. And the public supported him. And he's built roads, and it's nowhere near where we ought to be, but no one can deny that infrastructure-wise, he didn't do a hell of a job with a lot of the expansion and some of the roads and some of the money he was able to get into here. You're 100% right. That's an example of how it can work. And at the time, Baton Rouge was a lot more conservative than it is right now. It's, it's, it's more of a, of a democratic city and mm-hmm. parish, but the, the parish supported that. And he had success. So the model is there. But what you said was the key point. And it come, boils down to this question. Why should we believe you? You say you're going to do this. Why should we believe you? That's the deal. I mean, you know, so, you know, again, I was just on the North Shore last week talking to groups about some of the issues come to this session. When infra- infrastructure came up, what they all said was, you know what, when the time bill came up decades ago, yeah. they told us pay this tax yeah. and these projects will be built. Well, one of those projects was on the North Shore. Yeah. Well, to this day, it still isn't. Yeah. And they don't care if it's needed or not. All they know is they were promised it and it never showed up. So now when you go talk to them about another level of investment, the first thing they tell you is, how can I be assured mm-hmm. that you're going to keep your word, that the government's going to keep their word? That's the right question. And so I do think that when it comes to um, expending public dollars, either through existing revenue or new taxes, quite frankly, people will invest in certain things if they or told the plan, if yep. they believe it, and they yep. think you will implement it. I yep. think infrastructure has the has the ability to be one of those. But that's not going to happen in, at the state level unless the governor himself comes out specifically and says, here's the revenue that I think we need, mm-hmm. here's specific projects, a specific process we're going to use to expend it, and here's the accountability that you can see in the statute to ensure yourself, no matter who comes and goes, whoever the next leader is, it's not going to be pilfered away for something else. Let me ask. So we talked about these other areas of the state where infrastructure is an issue, but it is not as large of an issue, say, in North Louisiana as it is in the central part of the state. And so when you're talking to the entire legislature, 105 or so you know, legis- legislators in both chambers, how do you sell that when Baton Rouge needs it so desperately and other parts of the state could really use it, but it's not their primary need. I, I don't I don't think an outsider can sell it. I think it has to be sold from the top down. You okay. know, the I think I think the way Louisiana works is the governor has to sell exactly the plan and how it's gonna mm-hmm. be used. But 
every region has an infrastructure issue. In Baton Rouge, obviously, you know, in my mind, it's the bridge. Mm-hmm. You know, if you had a different yeah. bridge coming over the river, it would alleviate so many other traffic counts, and there's a ripple effect, hopefully, that everyone right. sees. To me, that's the Baton Rouge area. If you're in Lake Charles, they have yeah. an existing bridge that's falling apart. They yeah. need to replace that. If yeah. you're in Lafayette, it's 49 South. Yeah. Everyone has their different piece. But in North Louisiana, you have a couple of those major projects, but yeah. you also have a lot of you know roads that need some remediation, and that's important to them as well. And uh, and it's uh, it's over 140 both chambers uh, together. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. You mentioned the timed project, and I think 89, the it started the process that led to the John James Audubon Bridge between New Roads and St. Francisville. A bridge that, quite frankly, has three or four cars across it a day. There's a couple hunting camps that benefited greatly. (laughs) Why not, if you've got the money, why not move that bridge this way and do something that would actually have an impact on a loggerhead on the interstate every day. Well, man, if you could think of a way to move a bridge, you might be on it. Well, before you build it. Oh, before you before built it. Before you yeah. built it. That's right. what I mean. I mean, hell, the bridge is less than eight years old. So when they, before you, and even less than that, before you start the construction, why not build the bridge before you built it there, decide to build it someplace here? Well, you know, and I, and I wasn't around during the during the. I had a conversation with know, Buddy about you know, that, and he, you know, we talked about it. And my guess is yeah. they Monday morning quarterback that thing a yeah, lot. And yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I think going forward, right now, how do you give people the type of assurance that they can bank on yeah. that you're going to invest in priorities, you're going to you're going to be accountable with it without locking yourself into a game plan that maybe isn't relevant right. to what we need. So, I right. mean, there has to be a hybrid approach. And I don't pretend to be the exact expert sure. on how to I understand. do that. Whether it is a rotating process, whether you go to local referendum to make sure that folks can vote on what they want it to be, whether you have, um, whether you want to trust the priority program mm-hmm. and put some benchmarks on there to make sure that there's probably different ways to yeah. do it. I do think back then to do a political process where you name projects in a bill, Remember, that was before social media. Oh, sure. That was before Twitter. Absolutely. That was before 24-hour cycles. I mean, they Before snuck, the internet. They snuck a lot of stuff and a <laughs> yeah, lot of bills absolutely. back then. And you didn't find out until you right. either watched the 10 or got the paper the next day. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone would say those are the glory days of transparency and accountability in legislation. No, not at all. But we're not really there either. But at least yeah. now there's more, there's more ability for every average taxpayer to be involved in the process to make sure that they're not going to create some boondoggle list. And so I think that's important. I know the governor has spoken at the lobby luncheon mm-hmm. and the two of you know each other and, and have had conversation. If you, as the head of the preeminent business organization in Louisiana, had an opportunity to say, Governor Edwards, it is my wish that you would, what would the phrase or list after the would be? View the private sector as the path to prosperity and not as the enemy. Okay. Forget any particular issue. Mm-hmm. We can we can debate taxes and lawsuits sure. in schools and all this stuff sure, all day long. Sure. But stop viewing the private sector as the enemy. The, the path to Louisiana success is through private investment, private growth, private jobs, you know, in, increasing and multiplying. That is the path. Mm-hmm. But instead, it feels like the private sector is viewed as the enemy. It's almost like 
if you are employing people, if you are growing and expanding here, there's almost like this wary eye put on you like, oh, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You seem to be doing well. <laughs> have you paid your have you paid your penance to have the you government paid your yet? fair share? You know, and that's not the way healthy states no, view it. No. Healthy states say, listen, we want as many jobs as we can get. We want horses running. Bring the investment <laughs> yes. here. So just stop, spend that money. Stop looking at private yeah. investment and yeah. private capital and private job growth as the black hat. It's the white hat. When people are making money and spending money all as well. Government benefits just as much as individuals Everybody in those does. moments. Everybody benefits. And 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 it's it's one of those things that is often lost is that the government, many in government seem to <laughs> really really need they quench success for them for the for the institution of government but they smash it on the part of the individual i mean and I that mean, seems bass backwards I mean, to me. i mean right now I'm, it feels like there's a, like a pinata hanging in the mansion <laughs> that just says private sector on it and every time we need to, we need something let's just go get the broomstick and whack that thing some more and that is not the way you get to big growth how can people find you if they want to follow Lobby? I can't follow that. If people want to follow Lobby or or read your social media commentary, I know you got a social media account. Tell them about it. Yeah, I talk about my kids and business and life, and I'm a Cardinals fan. Who wrote and, that and pinata and football thing? Football and all that. I just made it up. Um, but no, it, you know, in all seriousness, you know, Lobby. We are the state chamber. We're the yep. state manufacturing association. Yep. We take our jobs very seriously. For 43 years, we have tried to defend free enterprise the best way we can. Mm -hmm. If you want to learn more about us, labi.org, labi.org. we got all kind of stuff on there. Um, We send out um, daily updates during session. How can people sign up? Go to to the website, sign up for us. We'll put you on the mailing list. We can Mm -hmm. keep you informed. And and look, we want to send out a lot of information, but we also want to hear back from folks. Let us know the issue is important to you. Uh, The session starts as we sit to record this this coming Monday. Mm -hmm. A couple weeks or so in... I'd love to have you back because this is the fiscal. It's the shorter session uh, to to give people an update on what's going on. One of the things you know, I hear from people during these times because I'm able to, and sometimes I do more than one podcast in a week depending on the issue going on, and it's a way to help people who are busy not have to go do the wonk work, as I call it, and get in the weeds on something. And the truth is the public is often left out of these conversations that really involves them and that to me is a shame. I totally agree. And I just want to reiterate to every listener that you have out there, um, our issues in Louisiana, our problems, they're generational. Mm -hmm. It's not a product of the type of people we are. We are capable of just as every much as Texas and those other states. And it's not one party. This isn't about Republican or Democrat or liberal or status quo or conservative or whatever. I don't care about any of that stuff, quite frankly. I am so nauseated at the political lines. Man, tell me about it. But... There is going to have to come a moment where the people of this state say, you know what, we want to take some drastically different approaches. Yeah. Because trying to continue to prop up a 90-year-old model, Yeah. all we have over the years is boomer bus economies, mm-hmm. low rankings on everything we care about, right. constantly deficit threats, and a political establishment that just returns old ideas left yep. and right over and over. And it's just, it, it's, it's, it's pointless and it's groundhog. Day. And we're moving in the wrong direction. Absolutely. man. Stephen Wagaspak, the president and chief executive officer of the Louisiana association of business and industry. Thank you, Wags. Thank you, sir.
Up next, we talk about the 2017 Smoke 'em If You Got 'em fundraiser. Stay where you are. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. This is Dr. Mary Catherine Roderick. And I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your host for The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107 mobile app. This is Jeff LaDuff, retired chief of police for the city of Baton Rouge. I'm Kelly LaDuff, co-owner of Open Eyes Safety Training and Consultant. Open Eyes is focused on providing quality safety solutions that give businesses and employees the skill set needed to recognize and react to dangerous situations. On a daily basis, we hear yet another story of workplace violence or active shooter. Open Eyes offers a unique approach to keeping you and your businesses safe through site analysis, technology recommendations, policy review, and employee training. To set up a consultation for your business, call us today at 225-313-9713 or visit us at our website at openeyesafetytraining.com. We say keep open eyes because 10% of our population cause 90% of our problems. See them before they see you. Mark your calendars now for the 2017 Smoke 'em If You Got 'em fundraiser taking place on Sunday, May 21st at Ben 77 Bistro in Perkins Row. The event starts at 4 o'clock. It'll feature live music, food, a live and silent auction, and a special guest will be at this year's event as we benefit the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. Taya Kyle will be in attendance. What a fun way to serve our country, to come out and have a good time at the event with the cool name Smoke Em If You Got Them. I'm going to be there. I would love to see you there. Come out, have a good time. Live music, cigars, good food. Sunday, May 21st, 4 p.m., Bin 77 Bistro in Perkins Row. I can't wait to see you there. It's going to be a fun day. Tickets are available online at chriskylefrogfoundation.org or clayyoungent.com. You can also buy them at the door. It's the 2017 Smoke Em If You Got Em fundraiser, Sunday, May 21st, presented by Orion Instruments. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. I enjoyed the conversation with Wags. There is a lot to get into, and we'll talk again once the session gets going. But how about that, right? You just heard it. Taya Kyle, head of the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation, in her husband's stead, carrying on the mission of supporting military veterans and first responders with the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation, will be at this year's Smoke Em If You Got Em fundraiser on Sunday, May 21st at Ben 77 Bistro in Perkins Row, presented again by Orion Instruments here in Baton Rouge in association with Ben 77, Don Juan Cigar Company, General Cigar Company, uh, Eagle 98.1 and the team at Garrity Media, Pest Stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution, 
Uh, Perkins Row, obviously, that's where the entire thing is. Clay Young Enterprises, and we look forward to seeing you there. In addition to Taya Kyle, man, we've got some cool auction items for this year's event, both live and silent auction, and we've got a category, a variety, so some of the things are going to be maybe on the higher end, and you'll understand when you get there and you see what they are, but there will also be some affordable things there for people to bid on if you want to make an additional donation. The ticket is a $100 donation to the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. We give them 100% of the proceeds from this event. And we're supporting them two years in a row. We'll see what happens next year. But we just wanted to be able to do this. Taya uh, is going to be able to make it. We wanted to support that cause. She is a delightful lady, as, as everyone who attends the event will see. And so this is one of the ways to do it through the auction, the live or silent auction. We're going to have live music there again this year. That should be fantastic. We're going to have the patriotic pastries again. Those things were a hit. Chris and DiCarlo Lyles, they put on a show last year with some of these treats that are out there, the little mom's apple pies and some of the other things. I don't know yet what Chris has in store. I'm going to find out what's on the list for this year's event, and we will relay that to you as we get closer to the event. We're going to have a grill station this year. A grill station this year. So Brian always opens his kitchen at Ben 77 for people to order food. But at at an event like this, when people are enjoying cigars, and I'll get to that in just a moment, the cigar, people are enjoying cigars and they're moving around. It's so hard to track people, to bring them their food, and then people are moving and your food is sitting on the table. It just doesn't work. So this year, because this is basically a big party, this is this is a big outdoor event in a very nice place, we're going to do burgers this year, jambalaya this year. Hell, we're even going to do dogs this year. Hot dogs are American. You know, it's a big thing. And uh, we got a couple of other things we're working on there, too. Uh, my buddy Brian Bennett at Insurance Procurement Services is going to be doing that. He'll be the grill master, at least for that day. He knows what he is doing. And I mentioned the cigar. This year's cigar is being provided by Cohiba by way of the General Cigar Company. It is the Cohiba Republica Dominicana. That's right. The Cohiba Republica Dominicana. Like how I roll those R's there. And uh, that'll be the featured cigar. So you're going to be, if, if you're a cigar smoker, you're going to be doing pretty well for yourself at this event. Jameson is also providing libations for tasting. Now, they've got something brand new that they will be, intro- not introducing, but, uh, but allowing us uh, to have or they'll be bringing to the event or giving us for the event as well. So this is going to be something special, man. And I mentioned earlier the rain, if the rain, if, if, if it's raining that day. Now, listen, we're hoping for a 74 degree, fully sunny day. And I'm hoping, knock it on wood, that's what we're going to have. But Perkins Row has an area that we are going to be able to use, a terrace area that overlooks the big courtyard there in Perkins Row. For those of you who have not been there, you don't know what I'm talking about, but for those who have, it's above the Cinemark there, and we're covered, and I've, the area is very nice. It'll allow us to be up there, and so we're looking forward to that. 
So there it is. Those are the details that we have now, and we are still working, y'all. Still working to make this thing even better. The fourth annual Smoke Em If You Got Em fundraiser. If you haven't put it into your calendar, do it now. Tickets are $100, $100, and it is a donation to an organization that helps people. Tay is going to be there. We've got some people who have actually received some assistance and been a part of the program at the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation who are in Baton Rouge. They're going to be speaking at this year's event as well. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm sure Taya really looks forward to seeing you there and it is going to be a blast. So there you go. The 2017 Smoke Em If You Got Em taking place at Ben 77 Bistro in Perkins Row in Baton Rouge. Again, Sunday, May 21st. And those are the deets as we have them now. Thank you guys for listening to the show. I hope you're as fired up about this event as I am. And I really look forward to seeing you there. The Republica Dominicana by Cohiba. Jameson, a grill station. Live music. Live and silent auction. Taya Kyle. And so much more. This year's Smoke Em If You Got Em is going to be special. I hope to see you there. And we'll catch you next week on The Clay Young Show. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show. Wow.